Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. Some big retailers are now starting to ration over-the-counter emergency contraceptive pills. Demand is really spiking after the Supreme Court took this right away from American women. And uh, Wall Street Journal has a whole thing on it today. CBS, Walmart, and Rite Aid have now been limiting purchases of the pills, which were already in short supply or already sold out. In CBS and Rite Aid, they were limiting it to three pills per customer. Um, Walmart apparently had some pills available without limits, but only in cases where they wouldn't ship until next month. Pills available this week were limited to four to six. And CBS told Bloomberg News that the limits are to make sure that as many women as possible will have equitable access and consistent supply on the shelves. They do have ample supply, apparently, of emergency contraceptives, Plan B and Aftera, both online and in stores. Look for the abortion pill to become the next battlefield in this war. And by the way, I didn't think I would see this in FoxNews.com, but there's a Banner headline published yesterday. Here's why the Supreme Court's abortion ruling is wrong on FoxNews.com. It says the overturning the constitutional right to abortion is a disaster. Even Americans who like the outcome because they oppose abortion should find the ruling deeply troubling because it treats the sacrifice that women undertake in reproduction as if it were a minor inconvenience. In particular, the opinion manifests no appreciation for what women who do not want to be pregnant endure when the government compels that status upon them. This is FoxNews.com. Publish this. Many people think that because the Constitution says nothing about abortion, it follows that the Constitution does not protect abortion. But that kind of logic does not suit a Constitution written in general terms to serve the people over the course of centuries. I am telling you guys, the big surprise from this gutting of Roe v. Wade is going to be how many conservatives realize, holy shit, I don't think I want to go this far. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866 866- 997 grit we still have some uh copy to play from today as well dave in washington state thanks for your patience on hold hey john hey look i i don't want to um 
I don't want to disagree with you because I just want to add to what you're saying. Um, no, prove, convince me I'm wrong, please. I all day I just kept thinking this is electing Ron DeSantis president. That's what this is doing. These are all Republicans. This woman's a Republican talking to Liz Cheney. Oh my God, this is what, this is what they're doing. They're cutting off their Trump tumor. So tell yeah, me I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah, Cassidy Hutchinson. No, I hear what you're saying. Look, the um, I mean, listen. This is a young woman who this woman chose to work for Steve Scalise, chose to work for Ted Cruz, chose to work for Donald Trump, and all the liberals are talking about how brave she is when all she's doing is making it easier for a Republican who's not Trump to become president. Yeah, look. As far as Ron DeSantis goes, there's a poison pill there. They've inserted it. Ron DeSantis is eventually going to have to come clean on what he thinks about, uh, you know, January 6th. And um, he's kind of No one's going to care. No one's one's going to care. The people who don't care now won't care then. Ron DeSantis has got every Trump voter in his pocket because he's already shown how cruel he will be to marginalized groups. Now he's already got the primary tied up. You've got to be as evil as possible to clinch the nomination. Then you've got to be the compassionate conservative to try to win the general, right? So, I mean, he's already halfway there. Well, all I can tell you is what they've done to me for years, okay? And th- this, there was a lawyer saying, when they were talking about Donald Trump, and he, he built all these people out of money, um, you know, through donations, right? Mm-hmm. The lawyer said one thing. He said, someone will have to complain. There has to be an injured party. He goes, there may be, but I don't see one. You know, and here's the thing is um, these these Trumpers and, and the ideology, the, the, the best purveyor of ideology is Steve Bannon. They are, um, they can identify liberals. I mean, either right or wrong. They, I mean, uh, you know, they can identify liberals just from sight. I know I was always targeted. I know years ago I, I had, I worked for a very conservative Colonel there in Korea. He was having trouble with, this was way before Trump. He was having trouble with all these, Apache helicopter pilots under him. He was having trouble with them, uh, not understanding why there's a North and South Korea. All they knew was Korean smell, and they are weird, and they don't want to be here. They would show up to fly the H-64 drunk. You know, they had a whole room dedicated to porn. And he asked me to give a briefing because he said his things are getting out of control. And he asked me to give a briefing on why we are there, why the United States is there, right? I said, oh, man, I don't want involved in this. I just recited the facts, okay? He said, I, he was so grateful, man. He said, I am forever in your debt, blah, blah. I couldn't believe what was going on, right? right. Well, you know, I was identified as just a liberal, and, you know, this went on for years. And sometimes they do, look, I had to constantly be on guard for um, nonsense. They would try to own me. Own the own the the Korea guy, right? They would try to own me by by giving me these little nonsense uh, things to put out as fact, so they could ridicule me, right? right. And and this is um, this is maybe what they're doing with this Cassidy Hutchinson. What worries me? What worries me is I see their main target now is Lloyd Austin, and to to, to troll him, to own him, to it's going Lloyd to Austin, the, the, Secretary, the Secretary of Defense. Yes, I see that. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't. I know you don't have a lot of time, so I'll just come right to the point. The point is, these people are empowered by ideology. You mentioned Saxonhausen. You know, um, Greenspan was killed there. The guy that was the love, probably the, the homosexual lover to von von Rath. 
Von wait, 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 wait. What's the ideology? What's the ideology? I think they're being guided by sheer tribalism. I don't think they have ideology. I think the people who yes. pay the people who give them right wing news right. have ideology. But what do they believe? What's their ideology? It's blind obedience to Trump and owning libs. That's all conservatism is now. Well, there is there is an element of white Christian nationalism, and it is that's probably the primary driving. Yeah, but that's thing the that's right the tribe that's the tribalism. And by the way, there's no Jesus in their agenda. I'm I'm waging this lonely campaign yeah. about this because the media is not going to talk about it. But there is no Christ in their Christian nationalism. Yes, John. They believe the other day, nothing. Yeah. They believe what they feel like. That's what their conviction is. Me, me, me. I'm on the right side. I have the right God. God likes me, and fuck you. And that's the extent of their, uh, uh, I mean, of, of their worldview, of their, of their philosophy, legislatively. Well, and I said a horrible thing the other day. I said that the Nazi in Nazi Germany, the predominantly they were predominantly Roman Catholic with some, you know, with some Protestants. But the bottom line is, is I said it's not deviant Christianity. We believe it is. Okay, it is not. The Nazis were not deviant Christians. What they were are normal German Christians in a deviant situation, a deviant environment. That environment. That, that deviant environment that, that a good-hearted American Christians find themselves in, that deviant environment is being created by Trump, Bannon, and, and those minions, man. It, I mean, that's just my main, that's my main premise. But what's, and, the difference um, between German, what's the difference between German Christians who hate Jews and American Christians who hate Muslims or who hate undocumented immigrants? I mean, either way, you're not a real Christian. Yeah. Right, but the thing it's is, tribalism. You know, there's no. Yeah, yeah, tri- there. Well, tribalism is a big part of it, and pre- predominantly it's European tribalism, patriarchy, white male tribal chief. Okay, um, it is. Um, I don't know the thane uh, in Anglo-Saxon history. It was thanes. You know, they uh, basically. You know, and I brought this up before the Magna Carta. Uh, the Magna Carta, this critical race theory, is equivalent to the Magna Carta. And people Whoa. say, how dare you? How dare you? Well, I do dare because when the Magna Carta came out, there were British uh, lords that, that hated it. Because you know why, right? They, they were his, the British lord. That was their children. That was their... How dare they? But what does that have to do with critical race theory? Because, all right, the Magna Carta... I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of wacky premises, but the Magna Carta... And and yeah. teaching teaching institutionalized racism woven into a culture over generations. No, no, no. Opposing opposing critical race. If you oppose critical race theory, if you think it's the end of everything and it's it's blah blah blah, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. You would have hated the Magna Carta. You would have been. Okay. Uh, and this is where these Trumpers are. This most is where of the they people are. who they oppose were... most of the people who hate critical race theory couldn't spell Magna Carta. Yeah, but they're always talking about Anglo-Saxon, this Anglo-Saxon. I mean, well, I, I know it's ridiculous. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, and, and I, I know it's ridiculous, <laughs> but the bottom line is, you know, you just got to put it in the in the 21st century context, man. They, I'm with they you. Just, they, okay. I, I got, yeah. I, okay, I got to yeah. run, Dave, but I thank you very much. You challenged me, and you made my brain open up all new rooms, and I'm I'm terrified of what's in there. But I thank you for showing me. Have a great evening. Eight six six nine nine seven grit is our number. Rachel in L.A. Good evening. Hello there. How are um, you? I don't know if good, honey. How are you? This is Very crazy. Good, thank you. <laughs> I'm shocked, but not shocked. <laughs> the I don't know if you got corrected or if you corrected it. The he was not in the limousine. He was in the you know he the SUV. Was, they just called it that. Oh, you did. Okay, hun. <laughs> yeah, he was in the SUV. Well, but, but is that the same as the Beast? 
That's my they, question. I, they just called it that. They just kind of called it that, but they, it was the SUV. It's not the okay. same. They just said it. Okay. And um, so then he could kind of, you know, reach. Like if you're in an SUV, you can kind of be standing, uh, you know, you can reach a little bit better. Wait a second. Um, we're, this is Donald Trump we're talking about. I want you to visualize okay. Donald Trump, okay, in the yeah. back seat of an SUV. Do you see this man leaning over and grabbing a wheel from the back seat? No, he didn't. I don't think he got all the way to the wheel. They said he reached for it, and the guy stopped his arm. And um, and if you're if it was one of the I don't know how it's set up in the back of the SUV I don't know but it could be you know how sometimes there can be a seat that's right behind the driver's seat that's facing inward to the car you know towards the back yeah but he'd have to burn like half a calorie I don't see Donald Trump being able to do that you know what I'm saying like I don't I don't think he's limber enough to do that I I think he's crazy enough to try it and then also about the two guys they were uh, you know those two Secret Service guys they are full on Trump loyal they've been in the news before about like being happy about the insurrection uh-huh. and stuff. So that would be a reason why they would deny it. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I thought the girl yeah. seemed really neat. Like, why would she say that if it wasn't something she saw? I mean, what trouble, what does she need that tr- headache for? Good point. To make something up like that. Good you point. Know? Yeah, listen, I, mean, I think also, I, I'm yeah. sure she's telling the truth. I don't, I don't doubt she's telling the truth. Whether it happened yeah. or not is a whole other matter. She could always well, be a patsy. Again, if they I were believe- smart, if they were smart, they would do something like this. I don't think they're smart. No, but in the, they're not smart. In the, in the moment, during the insurrection, they would think of to, to say something. That, I, I don't believe no, that No, but this has all. been Trump. But as I, I'm going to keep saying, Trump's genius, his wicked genius always is having a scandal to distract from a crime. Yeah, yeah. But the way she laid it out and that she walked in and they were all discombobulated. And the, you know what I mean? Like, I, it yeah, doesn't I'm sound like something that they'd want to admit to those two, you know, forever Trumper people. Okay. You know. Um, And also, I, I, you know how the pictures, have you seen that picture going around? And I posted it too when I saw it, the thing about um, lock him up with the ketchup. You know, have you seen that today? Yes. So, so I, I posted that on my Instagram and I gotten all these stupid bots, you know, trying to bot me out. (laughs) And it's just ridiculous. Like this one last stupid bot, I said, he said something and I said, oh, says the bot with zero followers. He's like, I don't allow followers to follow, to follow me. (laughs) You guys were talking last week about, you know, where to cut off when you go back and forth with the bots. Yeah. Whatever that guess was, yeah, that was a very smart solution. I can't remember what he said now, but I thought, oh, that's really smart. I like to wait until I get the last word and then I block them. <laughs> oh, you mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you can do that. But again, half the time, these people aren't real people. If they don't have an avatar picture, yeah. if their account just came up in April, May or June of 2022, if they have under 10 followers, there's signs to look for to realize that it's either a bot account or it's an old abandoned account that someone has hacked and is now using. You're just talking to a gaslighting propaganda right. machine that is there and, to make it seem like their numbers are much greater. Generally, right. only engage with these people if you're going to do it in a way that's entertaining for viewers because you're probably not debating with an actual sentient person. I mean, all the stuff disappears once you block them anyway, but... but um, I don't block anybody. I, mute, I don't block it. Don't, don't block it. And don't block them. Mute them. If oh. you block them, it gives them a sense of power. You see these you little... Mean, well, you, you see these little incels, right? These, these, these little racist clowns who are always saying, proudly blocked by this person and that person and this person. Oh. You know, that, if, to them, it's like they're waving a scalp in the air. You know what I'm saying? Like they're vulgar. What I say is don't block them. That gives them power. Mute them. Oh. When you're on social media, you are the attractive woman at the bar, right? And the attractive woman at the bar has got to decide which men she acknowledges and which trifling fools she just ignores. 
And if you actually tell a guy to leave you alone, that gives him too much power sometimes. Just ignore him. And when you hit the mute button, you don't actually block them. They have no idea that you can't see their abusive rantings. And they will spend hours of their life burning lean tissue, tweeting things at you that you will never read because you have muted them. They don't realize. I did not know that. Yes, never block and never block people. Mute them. Let them holler into the abyss and waste their time and you'll never know it. It's really much better for your nervous system. Don't block them. Don't give them the power. I uh, didn't on Instagram. There's a mute button. Oh, not on Instagram. No, I'm sorry. I'm talking on. I'm talking on on Twitter. On Instagram, there is not uh, a mute button, but there should be. I do everything on Instagram. I'm amazed. That, yeah, and it's amazing that there's bots on Instagram as well because you can't really. I guess you can have dummy identities there too. I guess it seems like Instagram and Facebook always seem like the place where people just show who they really are more. Well, they make it a private, like my last bot was like a private account following 800 people, zero followers, and one post. I didn't look for the date that they started. Yeah, anyway, not a real person. Okay. That was me. Oh, that was Chris. <laughs> thank you, Rachel. Okay, honey, thank you. <laughs> 866-997-GRIT. It really was Chris, by the way. It's a little bit embarrassing. By the way, Yesley Vega. That's the Republican woman who is running against Democrat Abigail Spanberger for Congress. Did you hear what she did yesterday? This was kind of brilliant. She totally downplayed the possibility of becoming pregnant as a result of rape. They asked about her stance on abortion at a campaign stop. And Axios had the the audio on this. And she was saying how excited she was for all the new restrictions on Roe v. Wade. She goes, the left will say, what about cases of rape or incest? I'm a law enforcement officer. I became a police officer in 2011. I've worked one case where as a result of rape, the young woman became pregnant. So I guess it's okay for that one woman to have the government force her to carry and bear her rapist child. They then asked her, uh, I've heard it's harder for a woman to get pregnant if she's raped. Have you heard that? She, and she said, well, maybe because there's so much going on in the body. I don't know. I haven't but you know, seen any studies. But if I'm processing what you're saying, it wouldn't surprise me because it's not something that's happening organically. You're forcing it. The individual, the male, is doing it as quickly. It's not like, you know, and so I can see why there is truth to that. It's unfortunate. Abigail Spanberger cannot lose to someone this dumb and this heartless. They asked her to comment on these remarks now because they went public, and she told Axios in a statement, I'm a mother of two. I'm fully aware of how women get pregnant. Never actually commented on it. So this one person is so gung-ho on reversing Roe v. Wade, but her comments suggest she might be a tough sell in a Democratic-leaning swing district, and that's going to be key in terms of deciding the control of Congress next year. It's now coming down to every single race, folks. We're going to be familiar with districts we never even heard of before. But pro-choice groups see rape and incest exceptions as the canary in the coal mine when it comes to this kind of abortion extremism. And sensible people think if you're willing to abandon women who've been raped, girls who are the victim of incest, then we know you're crazy and we know you're not going to stop. As of the most recent polling on Sunday, 59% of Americans disapprove of the decision to overturn Roe. And this woman, Ms. Vega, won the GOP primary last week over better-known opponents with endorsements from people like Ted Cruz and Ginny Thomas. It is true that abortions that come from rape are uncommon. It's only about 1% of all abortions. But nearly 3 million women in the U.S. have experienced rape-related pregnancy during their lifetime, according to the CDC. Again, nearly 3 million women in this country alone have experienced rape-related pregnancy during their lifetime. Are you going to vote? Are you going to get 10 people you know to show up and vote? 
Let's get back to the phones. And you guys have been so patient. Bill in New Jersey. Hello. Oh, hi, John. How are you? Very good. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Can I just say something about abortion since I wanted to say it the other day? People seem to know, define how, when death occurs. And, it's you know, the secession of brain activity, if you remember the Terry Schiavo case. Yeah, I mean, there, there is the, debate about that. There is debate about that. You know, we don't know when life begins, and we really don't know when life ends. But go ahead. Well, legally, it's when there's no brain activity, meaning everything that's about you, that, that you exist, is gone. And it's wiped out. And I know when, on camera personalities at Newsmax that applies to, but go ahead, I'll listen. Right. But in, in embryo development, my mother was a uh, uh, clinical child psychologist about 40 years ago, and she worked on a study of premature babies. And one of the things they know is the last organ to develop in the human body is the cerebral cortex. That's where your thoughts, that's where you exist. And the cerebral cortex is the last part of the brain to form. So babies that are born premature have lower brain function at first. They catch up later, but they are more startled by like the mother's voice, whereas fully developed babies actually know the sense of their own amniotic fluid, and they, they recognize different sounds uh, and things like that, and they're more comfortable with it. And so if the brain it doesn't even exist until the last you know trimester as anything right. at the very end of it, you don't exist. Okay. You're just uh, uh, an organism at that point. And You're going to hear back thing? the beating heart argument on that. You're going to hear back the heartbeat the argument heart- on that. But the beating heart starts as a vein. The I know. The I know. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you what you're going to get back on. I'm telling you. I'm yeah, telling you what you're going to hear back on. It could be a vegetable in your heart. Heart works. Doesn't matter. They said that when Terry Schiavo was dead was because she had no brain activity. They had yep. all you know. The Fox had the crazy people saying no, she was okay. And they but used they her to get votes. And they used her to get votes when they never cared about her as well. Right. Right. And uh, Rand Paul. Oh, what a guy. Uh, you know, yes. Well, his namesake, the one of the two things that I liked about Ayn Rand was she was pro-abortion. And the other she thing sure is was. she hated Reagan. Yeah, like, <laughs> if you look up any of her quotes, her quotes could be, go beyond what liberals would say. Not only did they drive the conservatives insane on abortion, they just said stuff. And she said stuff that liberals wouldn't say. But Rand Paul, you know, his, his namesake, forget about it. Anyway, and the, the, the thing about the, uh, the coming elections because of Trump, I think that the Republicans are stupid if they give up on their, you know, 50 uh, baskets of deplorables uh, campaign, because that's all they got. If they get if they get rid of the other crazies, they're not going to have any voters. So they can't put off the Trump people, you know. I mean, I will that happen? Can that happen? I think that the greatest hope for the Democratic Party is driving a wedge between the sane Republicans and the Trump ones, but they haven't been able to do it so far. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll see we'll, ha- we'll see how the country reacts to like stuff like this. And um, I hope it's not going to forget about it before the elections, because that's all we got going for us at this point. We'll see, man. Thank you so much for the call, Bill. Great to hear from you. Let me get one more call before we do our next break. Uh, Rick in New Hampshire, thanks for waiting on hold. Oh, hey, John. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Not at all. It's a pleasure to have you. How you doing tonight? Uh, good, sir. Yourself? Very good. Thank you. i got to say, you're such an extremely unique motherfucker, John. 
<laughs> you just tweeted me, Pat. <laughs> you really are. That's, that's why they put me on the it. The only man in my life that ever brought me to tears. Like, I, I, I can't even dial the number without fucking tearing up. I'm, I'm, you turned me into a blubbering mess. <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain it, man. You just... Yeah. Just a fucking incredibly. Great, I, I, I make I make lots extremely... of people really miserable. I do. I, I make lots of people weep. No, you uh, don't. I make people You're gnash their teeth liar. and rend their <laughs> garments. And yeah, I'm, I'm. No way. No, nope. I love you, kind. man. Thank I really can say that. I'm and very you're a gift. To you're a gift to all of us. I gotta say that up front. Well, but, uh, that's why they I put really me on at what the fuck o'clock. Thank you. And your show. Thank you. And you're the best. I'll nah. tell you something. When we when we took this time slot, when they when they first asked us to move to this channel and take this time slot, I was told by friends that uh, no one there's not going to be an audience. That you're you're going to just have to book it oh. with guests for the full three hours because no one listens this late. And I I'll am, tell you, it's been really amazing over the last two years. Just uh, like building up the most wonderful. We got a great audience that listens to us the next day on demand and on the podcast. But like the live listeners, people in their right. cars, and and it's not just West Coast; it's people from all over the country. So it's really, really a pleasure to to be able to you know reach the kind of serious XM listeners that we didn't necessarily get when we were working in the daytime and still had social lives and our families still talked to us. So there's a lot of good that's come from this. I'm so grateful for it. I got to tell you because I'm ashamed that I didn't know more. I mean, I do remember you a little bit from. This Colin Quinn thing years ago, you guys had a little thing years ago. And uh, I tough crowd, a little bit. Tough, cr- tough yeah, crowd, tough crowd. Central. Yes, yeah, oh my great god, show. one of my I favorite things show. ever. Oh I love doing that, that show. Man. Oh, Patrice oh, O'Neill yeah, and I would. You were, Patrice you, O'Neill and I would just do mother jokes back and forth at each other the whole time. Oh, it was such a smart show. God, was he the funniest motherfucker on the planet? Oh, or he what? was lethal. He was god, lethal. It's so sad. But you know, like I've done a lot of, I've right. done a lot of TV in my life, and I, I bounced around doing all kinds of TV. I mean, many different types, and I've, I've. Uh, I've enjoyed hosting in television, but we never had the freedom that Sirius XM gave us to play the music we liked and to talk about what we liked and to, I never have to have a guest that I don't want at Sirius XM. And I never had that in TV. Oh, brilliant motherfucker. I gotta tell you You're that. very kind. You, Thank um, you. We're so grateful to have you. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> You're all right, Rick. Well, I, I, I got to run, but thank you. Time. You're a gentleman. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, oh, now you, you now you drag Chris into it. Chris, you want to weigh in here while we have a no, nice person no. on hold? I just can't wait for the no, next Chris caller. No, Chris is the best. Interview. Love that kid. Love you right back. We gotta, gotta, gotta take a very quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. By the way, I don't know if you heard this story or not yet, but uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, first mayor to serve on an outpatient basis, he just said today that Rudy Giuliani needs to be investigated for falsely reporting a crime after that video footage showed the supermarket employee just patted Giuliani on the back after Giuliani claimed he was physically assaulted and almost knocked down. That's how crazy we are. Our mayors are calling to investigate our former mayors. Shouldn't be that hard for presidents to do the same thing, guys. We'll be right back. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. After the sun is gone, the meadow comes alive before our Firefly is Rusty Anderson's first new music in five years. It's out today. It is really one of my favorite singles I have heard all year. If you don't know Rusty's name at first, I know you know his work. He's a world-class musician, part of L.A.'s rock history for decades, a great session musician who's played with some of the biggest names in the world, and a terrific singer-songwriter in his own right. Rusty Anderson went pro at age 14 with the L.A. band Eulogy, Playing alongside acts like The Police and Van Halen, he did a five-year stint with Edna Swap, who are best known for the song Torn, which was a huge hit for Natalie Imbruglia. Oh my God, I was a VH1 DJ when we played that song all the time. He, over and over and over again. Right? Oh, yeah, but it's, but it's a great melody. He worked with yeah. Elton John and, and Miley Cyrus, Sinead O'Connor. A lot of you riffraff will know his work from playing lead on Ricky Martin's uh, low-budget indie hit Live in La Vida Loca, and the gig that's made him beloved to Millions have, of course, has been as lead guitarist for Paul McCartney's touring band since 2001, Paul's longest continuous lineup of his entire career. He also fronts the band Rusty Anderson Afternoon. Their first signal, Effortless, hit number one at Sirius Radio's 20 on 20. And again, I'm just crazy about the new song, Firefly. I've always wanted to have this artist on our show. Rusty Anderson, what a great pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Wow. Thanks for the buildup. Yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to be too flowery, but I've, I've, I've wanted to get you for a long time. I've admired your work so much, but I got to be honest, nothing could prepare me for how ethereal and gorgeous this new song is. It sounds like you had a very interesting time during lockdown. Yes, uh, it's true. I mean, I, you know, I think for all musicians and especially, you know, performing live studio, any of that kind of sort it's been a really very strange time and that weird feeling of what's coming next and where are we going, which I guess we're sort of still in a little bit. It was a perfect time, especially during lockdown where, you know, just go into the studio and start creating. There's no excuses. So that was the silver lining for me was that, that and also being able to to hang out with my daughter, she's now 11 and having, doing a lot of shows and touring and stuff, it, it's, it's precious time to be able to hang with your family, right? Indeed. I was on the road nonstop doing stand-up yeah. when, when this thing happened, and suddenly you're just trapped with your child the whole time. It, it, it sounds like you made the most of, of the experience. How are you? How is your family? How are all your people doing? Yeah, fantastic. You know, um, it's, it's been a while now. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the road with Paul, and we've done a, a string of dates, and we're going to uh, MetLife, I guess, is the next one. Yeah. Also known as the Meadowlands, right? Yeah, it used to be Giant Stadium. Now it's now it's MetLife. So anyway, yeah, I, I had a I had a lot of time with the family. Now it's been a while, but we're going to meet up again later. You know, soon we're uh, headed over to uh, England. Yes. To do the Glastonbury thing, and so uh, that'll be fun. 
Yeah, I want to talk to you about some of those gigs first, but I, I, I have to just praise this single for you. It is one of the most elegantly ethereal songs. It it reminds me of, of some of your stuff I've heard before, and yet it, it just seems to be like, I don't know, it's, it's a very, very special sound you achieve here. It reminds me a little bit of like early zeros British bands like Travis or Keen or Coldplay in terms of just the melodic beauty. What was the genesis of this song, and how did you go about getting uh, Stuart to contribute drums for you? Well, you're very kind, first of all. Thank you. Yeah, well, I've known Stuart for a while. We were in a band a while ago called Animal Logic. Yeah. And then he's been doing this orchestral thing. I've been playing some shows with him before going on the road with Paul, and that's really cool. It's all like police songs that he calls them derangements, and, and <laughs> it's a big, giant orchestra and all that. So uh, anyway, we're hanging out and, and I asked him, hey, would you want to play on the song? And he goes, sure. So that happened. And then also a friend of mine, Ron Sexsmith, who I played yeah, on a record of his a few years ago. He's an, a singer songwriter that, you know, we're good friends and he's a really great. sweet guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I said, hey, man, you, you want to have a go at the lyrics on this? He goes, sure. And so we ripped it up pretty quickly and, uh, and I already had all the music and, you know, the, the melody and the chords and the arrangements and then the drums were cool because Stuart sort of has his own approach. And I just heard it in my head. I heard Stuart playing on it. And I, I'm like, I have to ask him because I can't stop hearing his parts, you know? Yeah. So it just sort of evolved that way. And it was definitely a, a unique way to sort of build it together. A lot of times I write a song by myself or I might have one co-writer or, you know, different ways of doing it. But this was a little farther reaching I'll say is, I mean, it's gorgeous. I love Sexsmith, and he's one of the reasons why I don't quit Twitter. He's just a brilliant guy. But uh, isn't he got, amazing? He's, he's always coming up with some some great dad jokes. Amazing. Oh yeah, no, he's so funny too. But I mean, as as just a, a piece of songwriting, it is so elegant. I actually can't wait to hear you try this one live. Let's just play a little bit more of the new release, Firefly, by Rusty Anderson. Rivers of whispering night. Travel down the wind Memories of some other life Flicker deep within After the sun is gone The meadow comes alive Before our Sounds really 
County, California, right? I did. Well, it's sort of North Orange County and sort of Nowheresville. It wasn't the posh area of Orange County. Right. It was about 20 miles inland from there. Yeah, but it was kind of cool in respect that it wasn't right in the middle of the city. It was a little more suburban and all that. And and then I ended up, I think that the fact that there was some proximity to Hollywood it was maybe, you know, 45, 50 minutes away from Hollywood. So we would go in there, my old man and play shows and things really started blooming at that point. Was there a moment where where popular music just lit the spark in your brain as a kid? I know that I've heard you talk about your sister being a bigot to music and learning a lot of stuff from her, but was there a moment that, that it turned you on or was it just a gradual thing you grew up with? Well, it was kind of strange because as I look back, when I was five years old, I'm the youngest in the family and I had an older, older brother who was 19 at the time and he passed away of like a kidney thing. And it really kind of, you know, messed up the family and it and it was really a, a strange time for me. So at that point, right around then, my older sister was playing the Beatle records, you know, and, I, and that was my first real clocking that music was something magical and amazing. And I loved it. So I kind of thought, wow, real life sucks and music is amazing. So I just focused on trying to get a guitar to play and finally did. And, you know, it just kept going from there. But it's always been my focus and my passion for whatever reason. Maybe it's how my life went or just my DNA or both or you know, something. It seems like it was just the way to keep yourself sane as a young person and to find your own way. The, the legend yeah, I, always yeah. heard, I always heard that you actually gave up guitar lessons when you were eight and then you just picked it back up again when you were a teenager on your own. Well, I, I, I never stopped. I just I just said, hey, uh, mom, I feel kind of sick today. I don't think I can go to the guitar lesson because I didn't like it at all. I didn't want to learn how to read Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and all that. It just, I was into, you know, rock and roll and all that. Right. And uh, so I didn't really get it. I didn't get that for the guitar. So I just went on my own and, you know, watched people play, messed around, experimented, things like that. 
That's um, the most beautiful thing because I we, we you hear so many stories of young people who who are pushed into lessons and it's a very formal thing of connecting you know notes to a page to songs that these kids would never listen to you know in real life and it seems like you just learned <laughs> by listening to the music you loved and not having it nothing against music teachers they're great people but they very often as you know I got a son who's taking you know guitar and piano now mm-hmm. they very often make kids take music that doesn't speak to the child's soul. Well, yeah. And, and it's, I think it's an eternal conflict because I think of the brilliant composers like Debussy and Rachmaninoff and Gershwin, like they're my favorites, right? And they were excellent music readers, at least good enough to be able to pull off that, you know? Yeah. And somehow still they had their, you know, they had their mojo. They had, they were connected to the, to the heart and the soul of the music they were writing, right? And then on the other hand, you have like Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and, and they didn't read a lick of music. That's none. Right. So, and they were certainly connected to the zeitgeist of what they were doing. They were creating it, you know? So like I say, I, I think it could probably be done, but I'm with you. I just, for me, I just did not want to go that route. And I dabble in, now I read music. I'm not an amazing uh, sight reader or anything, but I do read music, but it was an after the fact thing. And I feel when that's happening, it's definitely a different side of the brain. Yeah. Right. Well, it's just so beautiful. The notion of you just really picking up the guitar, learning the chords on your own and just teaching yourself to make the sounds that spoke to you. It just seems a lot more organic. Yeah. It's, I mean, just to me, it just seemed like the only way to do it. I wouldn't even know how else to do it, but, and I'm with you because I did spend some time teaching guitar to people, but usually what I did was I teach songs and things they wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, what was there like one album or, or one artist that was your Bible as you were developing? Uh, Axis Bold is Love. For sure. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it took me a while. I first bought it when I was like six or something. I, I think I was up in Lake Arrowhead and, and saw the cover. I thought, oh, yeah, I want that. And I bought it. My you know parents bought it for me. And it was so revolutionary that I'd listened to it and I couldn't, it took me a long time to absorb it because there was so much going on, so many brilliant melodies and super like sexual rhythms. And I mean, it was just, you know, incredible, great lyrics. And, you know, to this day, it still inspires me. Yeah. Who were some of the guitarists that really were the teachers for you along your path? Who did you learn from? Or Well, or certainly the Beatles, you know, and it's funny because... With the Beatles, I never know, you know, all, all three, all three of the guitar players were amazing. Obviously, you know, now Paul played a lot of guitar with the band. Yeah. You know, over oh, yeah. guitar and stuff. So he played amazing stuff. Harrison played amazing stuff. And John Lennon, some of the best rhythm playing I'd ever heard. If you've heard some of those isolated tracks. Yep. Where he's, it's I like mind blowing rhythms that are so simple, but no one plays like that. Right. So they were certainly influential. I mean, but I, I listened to everything from listening to uh, like gen- early Genesis with Peter Gabriel, learning their stuff and the piano bits on piano and then transposing into guitar or saxophones from people, you know, Mick Ronson, I love from David Bowie, oh, yeah. who's a yeah. huge fan of his, uh, you know, I guess Richie Blackmore, a lot of different people that I, I really gravitated towards the, the more melodic space age players like Steve Hackett's playing and Robert Fripp and oh, nice. things like that. Jeff Beck, I loved were there um, any like like technical guitarists that really showed the way for you? Were there anyone that you really admired for the tech? Yeah, the there technique? was like uh, Wes Montgomery, and I don't know. I, I listened more to like I said, like like saxophone riffs or 
um, things like that. The legend I always heard was that you laid down your lead for uh, Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca. And again, I was mm-hmm. a young VJ at the time, so I must have introduced that thing a thousand times on VH1, but that you did that just at home at your own studio. Well, what happened was uh, I was working with one of the songwriters whose name's uh, Draco Rosa or Robbie Draco Rosa. And he came over to my studio at my house and we, he goes, yeah, let's, let, let's do this demo. I, I need some guitar. I go, great. Okay. So he puts it on. He goes, yeah, I just need some guitar stuff here. Oh, and here and here. I'm like, okay. So I came up with the music, you know, it's like sort of a riffy thing. And I laid it down really quickly and, and it was tuned down to C sharp. And because he always likes that key. So I had that guitar because I'd done some playing with him. So I had one already tuned to that key and just a cheap guitar. And, and I go, man, I don't have like the right reverb right now because it sort of really sounds like that's what it requires. And I go, so, yeah, you guys, the engineer can put it on when you mix. He goes, yeah, sure. Since it's just a demo or whatever. So they did that. And then they called me back. They go, oh, by the way, it's they're going to use that demo as the actual record. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> and then the record company calls me back, goes, oh, by the way, it's going to be the first song on the record. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. And then they call me back again. They go, oh, by the way, it's a huge hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was one of those weird evolving things. So I, I just engineered it myself and played the guitar like in an hour, an hour and a half. And it was, it was trippy because they never put the reverb on it and it's dry as a bone. And I don't know if I'm used to it yet after a hundred years, but I guess I talked to other people that said, oh, yeah, that that's that signature sound, I guess, because it was so dry yeah. and didn't have reverb. It was just a mistake, really. <laughs> but and, it's uh, such a propulsive, I mean, performance. It remind, it always reminded me of like a James Bond theme. It's intense. It's very dramatic, yet fun at the same time. Right. And James Bond would have had some reverb on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it kind of has its own little its own little pocket, I suppose. And it, and it was such a huge hit. I was really you know, tickled to be able to play on it. I remember being in the gym the first time I heard it and I was on like a, a treadmill or something and I'm listening to it. And go, oh God, that sounds so weird. That's not how I remember it. And and I almost fell off, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm still I'm alive. A big, I'm a big fan of your Undressing Underwater album. That's one that really, really just seems like you're combining all of the influences you love to create the sound that you hear. It's, it seemed like that was a big, important release for you. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was my first solo record and I just got way deep into it and had fun. And yeah, and I, I worked with some good people. I mean, Paul played on the on the opening That's track right. for myself and sang some backgrounds. And uh, and he had a suggestion for the, uh, the, you know, after we went into the it was the whole band, really, the whole McCartney band. And David Kahn was producing and, and Paul was playing bass and then did some backgrounds and then. The next day, Paul calls me and says, wow, that was a fun track to do. I'm like, yeah, man, thank you so much. Because I was just in awe of the fact that I even asked him and then mm-hmm. triple in awe that he actually said yes, right? So anyway, he goes, yeah, the one rescue bit, he calls it the rescue bit, where right. there was a section where I didn't know what was going to happen. And it was like, uh, you know, I don't know, a series of chords. And he goes, you know, it would be cool there if you had an interesting instrument like a an oboe or a trumpet or a flute or something different that, that would be unexpected. I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. So we ended up my friend, uh, Proven who plays with Brian Wilson came in and played flugelhorn on it. Mm. And, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. That was, that was sort of inspired by Paul's suggestion. That's so and, cool. Uh, w- was yeah. It's just so fun to be able to work with people and, and have like this 
this momentum come from it, you know? But I mean, it seems like you've worked with everybody. I mean, from Sinead O'Connor to Steven Tyler. And I'm curious if there was a moment for you as like a, a young person when you realized, oh, I've made it. This is going to be my career. Like, did you have did you have a moment or a tour or an album where you thought, yeah, I've done it. I'm not going to have to go, you know, work in the post office. I guess. I mean, it's it's also transient. You know, the life of a musician has no stability. And then, you know, it's like, yeah. hey, mom, I'm going to be a musician. You know, it's, they're not usually like overjoyed, but I don't know. It just sort of worked out that once, I guess, once the, start, the ball started rolling, I think it was the, the first big record I played on was Bangles. Yeah. And then that was like, you know, what was it? Manic Monday, Walk Like an Egyptian, that, that record. Yeah. And uh, so then things started happening and I started meeting new producers and, and all that. And, and, but I would still do the band thing. And then I did Edna Swap for a while. I sort of took a break from all that. But along the way, I met some really cool people. I met Stuart Copeland, you know, I met uh, Shanita yeah. Connor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Radicals, that was a fun one. Really That's proud right. of that tune. But but yeah, I've always been doing my own thing, writing my own music, having my own bands on the side. It's just That's... part of the whole expression. I, I, I feel the need to create. I can't just uh, not write songs and record and sing and play guitar. And it's just, I can't avoid it somehow. I think that's why I've, I've always admired your work so much because you have this dream gig, you know, touring around and, and playing with this individual. And yet you've never just rested on that. It seems like, okay, that's, that's a pretty fun day job, but you're always creating, you're always making your own work. I know that you first got the gig because you came in to play on the, the driving rain album and that led to the tour, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, it was through the studio the studio Avenue because I'd played on, you know, with Elton John or whoever that I got the gig to do that. And then that turned into live shows and, and recordings with Paul. And that's the weird thing is that now it's, it's been a couple decades and I look back and it's the most stable job in the universe. Right. But it never really felt like it uh, somehow, <laughs> but, but it kind of did. And it didn't, you know, I, it, it's just like before that, you know, someone would call, hey, you want to come in the studio tomorrow or next week or or play this this gig or whatever. Let's do a little tour up in a month. And everything was always last minute. And you get used to that kind of scheduling. Right. Mm -hmm. So to actually know what you're going to be doing a few months in advance is just such a blessing. Absolutely. It's very amazing to think about you being introduced to this world of Beatle fandom. You know, I, I talked about this with Brian Ray a couple of years back. It seems like like uh -huh. when an actor is cast in a Star Wars film and suddenly <laughs> this religiosity right. cult, this, this, you know, this core of fandom who base a lot of their lives around this art and suddenly you're in that world. I'm curious how that experience has been for you and, and how that experience has evolved for you as part of the, the Beatle fan culture. Well, I, I, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a learning curve because then all of a sudden I, you know, had people after me for things and, and it, it took me a second to really discern the, the agenda going on and, and what part I wanted to play in it, you know, mm, that's um, interesting. that makes any sense, you know, people wanting things signed or think whatever, but I feel just so honored to be a part of it. I mean, the way the Beatles touched me they've touched so many people in the world. It's just this phenomenon and Paul McCartney and a lot of people, you know, depending on their age range, you know, they relate to the Beatles more or they relate to his solo work more or whatever. 
And it's just fascinating. It never ceases to blow my mind, you know, the enormity of it. And it's like, I, I just feel so lucky and blessed to be able to be a part of it. And it's a lineup that uh, has been the only really sustaining touring lineup for his career. I mean, the Fabs only did it for a few years. Wings lineup was famous for always changing. This core unit right. has been together now for, for 20 years. It's really insane. I mean, there's a magic that happens. Like after the whole COVID thing, and then we got together and we, and we started rehearsing and that was really cool. But the first song we got together on stage in front of the audience, where was it? It was Spokane, Washington, a few months ago yeah. or whatever. That was, it just hit me, this, this sort of immense happiness, or I just felt like I was, I was at home. And it was almost euphoric, you know, because you play music, right? A little bit. Yeah, it's like, it's different if you're playing by yourself, which is amazing to, to, especially if you're playing something that you, you start to have some acceleration in your learning or whatever, and you learn some new stuff. And then you go and practice with a band and that's really magical, but you do on a gig, that's a whole different level because now you're sharing your energy with ears, with, with yeah. emotions and faces and, it's hard to put into words, but it really hit me over the head this last tour because we've been off for almost three years. That's right. So. I mean, it's a, a bit of a holy moment. I mean, and stand-up is, is like that, but it's not the same kind of connection. And you have this added... Um, yeah, now see, stand-up, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe. Like, and I love your stuff on Twitter. It, it, it's you. very insightful and, and very well thought out and, uh, and clever, and, and I commend you, yeah. Well, thank you. But anyway, so stand-up. Tell me about stand-up. What's that well, I like? Mean, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it's nothing like the emotional core that you have. I mean, you have that communion with the audience. You have what my Catholic nun mother would call, you know, a holy moment where you just feel this divine connection that's everything religion promised you but couldn't deliver, where you and the audience are together and it is a give and take. And in stand-up, it's more geared towards getting them to have involuntary laughter and finding ways inside their hearts that way. But what you have is something even more magical, because in many cases, you're playing a lot of lead guitar and solos that were made famous by George Harrison, and you actually managed to keep it pure to what the fans know while still making the solos your own. And that's an alchemy that I don't think I can ever understand. It's one thing for me to go on stage in front of 20, 000, you know, 2,000 drunks and make them laugh at political jokes, but how you can take these songs and so like the solo and let it be and execute a version of a solo that is familiar yet at the same time, put your own mark on it. It's well, it's let it be really is amazing. exceptionally. Uh, it's, I, I really go off the, off the chart on that one because that, you know, like a lot of them, you know, say something or maybe I'm amazed or something. It's, it's kind of like it's 90% etched in stone, right? It's just yeah, exactly. like biblical, you know, whatever where, Something like Let It Be is more of a vibe and it's more of a tonal center. It's like, it, I think it calls for more freedom in that one. So it's, it's, a, it's a song by song basis, but I know what you mean. It's important. I feel it's important to put life into a song and the life has to be from the living person that's creating it, right? Thank if I'm playing you. it, I've, I've got to give it life and it's got to be an expression of my own DNA. So that's what I try to do. And, you know, hopefully it, it comes off, but... And actually, it's a good point because, like, if you're on stage and you tell a joke or something, you get you can get 
instant gratifications, instant connection. You're constantly like measuring your connection with them, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're playing music, sometimes they don't even know what they heard until they absorb it later. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Of course, because I mean, well, you, some things like can be visceral where they, they, you know, like I've been in a concert and listening and, and just all of a sudden I get like hair is going up in the back of my neck at a certain moment. It's a very instant. But sometimes it's just the collective music and the tones and the, the singing and the and the shared you know, experience. The yeah. Yes. Yeah. The shared experience. All of that. It's sort of a, a consciousness that's beyond us to me. It's, it's sort of it, What's the word? It sort of transcends the moment in a way, you know? Well, that, that's why, I mean, on these on these last couple of tours, I've loved when uh, McCartney has done stuff from the more recent records, from Egypt Station, from New, from, from mm -hmm. you know, Chaos and Creation or, or Memory Almost Full or the, or the Covers album. Uh, My Valentine is, I think, Mel Torme could have sung that song. And when it's a uh -huh. song that you can tell is lesser known by the crowd who came there for the hits and maybe they haven't kept up with the more recent albums and God bless Paul for playing so many tracks in the last 20 years. But when you see the crowd get that for a song, they don't all necessarily know for a song. They didn't all necessarily come here to sing along with, but as something that's new for them can make the hair on the back of their neck stand up in many ways. That's more exciting for me than the classics going over as well as you expect them to. Yeah, that's, that's hard to do. Because, yeah, if you have a song that you've heard, you know, for years and years that you know super well, and all of a sudden you hear it, it's it brings all those memories back. Yeah. Where a song you haven't heard before, or you've only heard once, it's like the playing field's very different. So, yeah, of um, course. But, yeah, it's I think it's all important. You know, it's important for Paul, I think, certainly to play his newer creations. And I I'm of the same mind, you know, especially if I'm doing my own thing. It's like, you know. It, you always want to have something that represents your latest experience in life. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, that to me is the sign of an artist doing the show they want to do. I mean, you have now, I mean, you've played at, at the White House for Obama. You played in Red Square for Vladimir Putin. You played at the Olympics. I, I think you've done two Super Bowls. Are there any kind of gigs, Rusty, that still get you nervous, that get the adrenaline going? Or is it all just something that you take in stride as a pro? Usually I take it in stride. I mean, I just kind of do my thing. You know, there's a there's an arc to a to a show where you do the sound check, you know, and you, and you, you kind of go maybe get a little food. You kind of wind up and then you, by the time you're you're ready to do the show, you're kind of in a, the headspace to do it. And it's all about making sure that everything's in order. Yeah. So you don't have any distractions. And then it's all smooth as long as, you know, you don't have equipment malfunction or something like that. Now, when we played SoFi, it was a little different for me. SoFi is a stadium in Los Angeles. It's a fairly new one. I'd never played yeah. there before, and it's gigantic. I think it's like, I don't know, 60, 70,000, whatever it is. And that's my hometown, L.A. So I had people there, a lot of people there I knew. I just I had felt a little, just a little bit more of a nervous kind of vibe before going on, and then that kind of subsided after being on stage for a little bit. But for the most part, I don't really go there because why bother? You know, <laughs> that's, you, just, that's what you want to be. You want to be relaxed. That's how you that's how you have the best performance. Yeah. 
that's it. That's how the, the gig works. It is such a great pleasure to finally have you on this show. I've admired your work and, and your solo stuff for such a long time. I really, Firefly is an uncommonly gorgeous pop song. I was not prepared for the melodic beauty of it. I'm curious, oh, you're doing your last you. gig of this leg of the tour in New York. I know you got Glastonbury with Paul, but what's next for you, sir? Well, I, uh, I have to go. The tour ends, this leg of the tour anyway, in Glastonbury. And then I'm doing a little vacation. And then, uh, and I've got some more recording to do with Stuart and I don't know, just, uh, maybe a little promotion, of my own thing. And, and I've got some other tunes of my own stuff to finish up that are either done or almost done and kind of get ready to release those. So I don't know, lots of stuff. Well, you've had an amazing career. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Anytime you want to promote anything, please, this platform is always open to you. Rusty Anderson is the artist. The new single is Firefly. Thank you so much for joining us and all the best. I can't wait to see what comes next. Well, thank you, John. You've been fantastic. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Anytime, man. Thank you, million. Take care. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. John Cusack, he's never done this show, but he keeps telling me he's going to do it. What am I going to do about John Cusack? He keeps telling me he's going to do the show, and I've never been able to actually get him to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a hurt on him. It's also the, would have been the 90th birthday of Pat Morita, star and Oscar-nominated star of the Cosby, of the Cosby Kid, of the Karate Kid. What? What? I'm just imagining that movie. Which one? The Cosby Kid. The Cosby Kid. <laughs> <laughs> a young Ralph Pavarita teaches Ralph Macchio to wear uh, a brightly colored weird sweaters uh, and uh, do jokes about chocolate cake. Yeah, I'm wax not going to go dark. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to go, go dark. dark with it. I'm going to go dark with it. Yeah, mom. Yeah. And friend of the show, one of our top five interviews we've ever done here on the Love Fest, Mel Brooks, 96 years old, born the 28th of June, 1926. I, man. I just found some video from when we had Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner on the show because I flew out to L.A. to do it in Carl's living room. Guy's got a grip on him. Mel Brooks is going to live to be well beyond 100. Yes. We've got to take a very, very quick break. Well, very be- quick. Before what? you do, I just want what? to say that uh, Cassidy Hutchinson graduated from Christopher Newport University. In what in year? Jamestown, Virginia in 2019. Her 2019. Work for, yeah. So within two years, she went to D.C., no, 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 no. worked for Scalise. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So so she interned for Scalise, interned for oh, Ted in Cruz. college. Oh, OK. And in 2019, she 
in 2018, rather, she interned at the Office of Legislative Affairs. And then uh, in March 2019, she became a special assistant to the president. In March she, of 2019. Right out of college or while still in college, really. Her first job out of college is working yeah. for the White House. Yeah. How much you want to bet Trump hit on her? What's the what are the odds? I mean, I think Donald Trump would hit on a coat rack. I think he would, too. If he had enough enough Adderall in him, yeah. I think he'd tell but, the code rack it could stand a gain a pound. But I tell you what, you are pretty brassy. You're a brassy broad. A lot of mahogany, a lot of brass. There's Can a lot I just more I'd like to hang on you besides a coat, baby. I, I, I tried to watch this Alec Baldwin Instagram live interview with Woody Allen today. Yeah. Because Alec Baldwin has been advertising this saying, I'm having an interview yeah, on Instagram live with, I can't believe it, me and Woody Allen. I love Woody. I love Woody. Tuesday, 10.30 a.m., Instagram Live. Me, Alec Baldwin, and the Woody Allen. So I'm like, all right, well, it, with all those pauses, I better watch. So I, I, I try to log in this morning, and I'm a dope. I'm Amish. I don't even know. I'm like, I'm, I'm on his Instagram. Why don't I see it? You have to click on the story to see it. Okay, well, I'm a dope. And then it finally starts, and Woody Allen's there with poor lighting in a room talking about, you know, comedy and, and, and profanity and all these. It's, it's an interesting conversation with Alec Baldwin. And uh, Woody's signal keeps going out. And his, like every time they start to talk, Woody's signal goes out again. And it's clear they haven't prepped this to find a room in the house where they can get a decent Wi-Fi signal for Woody Allen, who's famously never touched a computer, never sent an email. And all I could think of is, wow, it's, it's almost like Alec Baldwin doesn't check all the details on his set before he starts filming. We got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mike in Missouri, welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Thank you. I told your screener that Tom Hartman had done a segment a few a few weeks ago talking about the uh, the Canadian government being concerned should the uh, Republicans uh, regain power, full, full mm-hmm. control of the government, you know, the presidency, all this, that, and third, about mm-hmm. how they're going to have to shut their border down from Americans fleeing because of rights being stripped away and things like that. I guess I'll say all that to ask you this, about to get your opinion about this, John. Uh, years ago, there used to be a song when I was in high school in the 90s. We don't need no water, the roof, the roof, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's why I feel like America is, John. And I'm of the mindset that uh, let the motherfucker burn. I, I, I'll take a little bit of communism because I, 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 if, I, if I could get to Cuba, I would take a little bit of communism and some paradise. <laughs> Free health care down there, 90% literacy rate. And I'm, I'm yep. willing to learn a little Spanish, you know? Yep. And, yep. and in addition to that, and in addition to that, it's a it's a it's a Caribbean country, or 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 fleeing to Canada, free health care. I'll pay some high taxes, whatever their form of government is, and I'll be willing to learn French. Talk, I get uh, that. I, I'd rather I'd rather I you know I'd rather you be here because we need people like you in Missouri. I mean, people like you in Missouri oh, are the reason no. why Cory Bush is in is in the the Congress right now. I mean, there are still good people right, here, but, but I understand the temptation to just get what we call the fuck out of this place before the crazies take over. John, we, we Trump won't even endorse either of the lunatic Senate Senate candidates here. And and, and in well, addition to yeah. that, John and in addition to that, John, I, I see I see Vicky Harshler on T V harassing lesbian and gay trans transgender That's uh, right. uh, high, high school kids. Yeah. And, 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 and and then, you know, Greitens like well, what's going to happen with Graydon's? What, what's what's going to happen? Because I'm asking all my friends know. in Missouri, like, like how how can this guy have gone this far? And and I mean, wh- are, are there just people who see his abuse of women and children as a plus? Like, how yeah. is he still even in the race when he can't get any national? Re- uh, don't get me wrong. I'm rooting for Graydon's. I want every Republican to have to own him. I want I want Mitch McConnell to have to serve with him if it's going to be a Republican anyway, because he can hurt the GOP much more than he can help them. John, I'm a working, you know, uh, I'm a delivery driver for the the guy who went to space. Okay, well, you know, thank I, you for your I service. Blue, okay, <laughs> I drive the blue vans, but I but I say all that to say this: what the the areas that I deliver in, John, and and and, and I, I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we, we have suburbs surrounding areas, uh, uh, Blue yeah. Springs, Olathe, uh, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. Oh, I know. But, they, they, but they're ninety, they're ninety percent white, and so these are the areas that I deliver in, John. And I'm still, I know seeing, it. I'm still seeing Trump, Trump for 2024, Trump, uh, uh, dually trucks with, with, they don't even have Missouri tags. They're the Trump. Mm. Mm-hmm. John, yep. in, in addition to that, John, I'm a black man. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I, your, your state boggles my mind because I've only known wonderful people from Missouri. And, but, but then, you know, I, I played Kansas City and the, and freaking Westboro Baptist Church came to pick at me. So I know how it is. But, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like when I look at the fact that a woman like Cori Bush came to Congress from Missouri, it gives me so much hope. And quite honestly, I'm much more afraid of Ron DeSantis than I am of Donald Trump. I'm, I'm turning into a broken record saying this all the time because I don't think Trump can ever be elected again. But uh, Eric Greitens is just what I, I can't wrap my head around. I mean, the man's wife said that he physically abused her and their children. He literally tied up his mistress and and choked and her, her and raped her and took nudes of her without her consent to blackmail her. He had to resign being governor, and now he might be your senator? My John, God, Mike. I, John, I don't want to monopolize too much more of your time. I listen to you all the time. You're a glass half full. <laughs> I'm a glass half full kind of nihilist. We got to hit a break, Mike, but call us more often. Uh, this just in, NATO leaders have formally invited Sweden and Finland to join the alliance. Historically neutral, now they want to join the alliance because of you-know-who doing you-know-what. The question is, yes, their membership could redraw the whole map of NATO, but will this cause our friend Vlad to flip what we call the hell out? All 30 NATO countries must vote to accept the new members. Watch this space. <laughs> 